You know, it's, it's wonderful for you to be here because, not because of the speaker, but because of the topic. It's a very relevant topic to each one of us because God has given each one of us a heart. And he's got these objectives and these plans for our hearts, and he's got this advice. And this morning, I'd like to look at some scriptures by which we can kind of set our hearts, for lack of a better word, to the things that God would have for us. The Bible mentions the heart about a thousand times. So you can see by the sense of its volume that it's a pretty standard or a pretty important theme that runs through God's word. It talks about merry hearts and joyful hearts. It talks about broken hearts. And it also talks about hardened hearts. The condition of our hearts has a significant impact on our lives. The condition of our hearts has a significant impact on our lives. And I think at some point, whether we attribute it to our heart or our head, our hearts have felt like a battleground where we sometimes get pulled and pushed and we sometimes get uh, put back and forth on, on things that we do and how we, how we manage things. Now, obviously, the heart I'm going to talk about this morning is not the physical heart that's pounding in our chest, although that is very important and it, it's, it's, it's our source of life in the physical aspect. But rather, I'm talking about the heart that's referred to in the Bible. And it's all-encompassing in a lot of respects. It covers our will and our desires. It covers our emotions. It covers our conscience. And it also covers our minds and our thought. You can sum it up by the fact that our hearts are really core of who we are and how God has made us in that respect. Now, if you know your Bible or you've been through different Bible stories, you'll know that the heart is, and I've said it, it's mentioned a thousand times, you'll know there's a lot of Bible stories that talk specifically about people's hearts. In particular, one of the stories that comes to my mind is the story of Daniel. And now Daniel's pretty popular because you've got that story about Daniel in the lion's den, and that seems to be well known. But before Daniel was in the lion's den, he was actually captured and brought enslaved to Babylon. And there, fortunate for Daniel, he was set, selected out of everybody else. And he was selected, well, because of God's destiny for Daniel, but the, the, and the uh, criteria was, well, he was good looking, he was smart, um, and he was healthy. So those were good criteria. So the king took him out and said, look, I've got a plan for these young men. I want to educate them and I want them to come into the royal service. And that was the intention. And so Daniel was one of those men. Now Daniel now was in a foreign land, foreign gods. He had foreign cuisine, for lack of a better uh, but But he um, had kingly comforts. He was very comfortable, even though he wasn't home. But Daniel also had God in his heart. He knew God's commands. And he knew that the dietary restrictions of his Jewish people were, were pretty tight. And he recognized that if he was going to eat from the king's table, he was going to compromise these things. And so he had a choice. He had a choice. Does he honor God in the decisions he makes? Or does he do what everybody else does? So what did Daniel do? Well, we read in Daniel chapter 8 that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So 
Daniel purposed in his heart. He didn't want to contaminate himself. He didn't want to displease God. He wanted to honor what God had told him to do and how God had instructed them to eat. And like Daniel, many times in our hearts, we have the same choices or similar choices. We have choices every day, whether we want to honor God and what we do and how we do it, what we think and, and, and who, we, uh, who our friends are. We have those choices every day. Or we have a choice where uh, we, we choose to, not to obey God or not to do something that's, that's not in, our, in his best interest and not in our best interest. So like Daniel, no matter of our age, we all face the same thing. Now I mention age because I see young and old. And look, I've got gray hair and I've got no hair, but I can tell you that the battle for my heart is still intense. I might look like I'm, got, I'm put together. I might look like I've got control of my heart, but I'll tell you, there is a battle still going on for my heart. Although I've committed it to Christ, my daily decisions are still the same. I still have challenges. Now, I trust they aren't the same challenges as the younger, but they are still challenges. And so for each one here, the relevance of the heart, and I trust the relevance of what God has to say today, is real and should be taken to our heart. So I want to talk about three things today. I want to talk about some wise advice that someone gave us, gives us about the heart. Wise advice. I want to give us, I want to talk about heart fundamentals. Do we understand the heart God gave us? Do we understand its history? Do we understand how it works? And third, I want to talk about reinforcements of the heart. Sometimes we feel alone in guarding our hearts. We don't have to. There is reinforcements if we want them. Maybe we could just open in a word of prayer first. Our blessed loving God and Father, I thank you this morning that we can open your word and that we can read about what you have for us as it relates to our heart. Father, you've made the heart a central aspect of our physical being, but you've also made it a central aspect of our spiritual being as it relates to our lives down here and as it relates to how we respond to you. Father, I pray that if there's someone here that has a hardened heart, that it would soften for this message, that, Father, you would introduce a crack where your love and your grace would just work itself in. Father, I just ask you for that. I just pray that you would just guide these words, guide these thoughts, Father, and I thank you that your word is so powerful, that it doesn't need me up here, but Father, I just ask you that you would just guide, direct, and bless. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so the first topic I wanted to mention as we talk about the heart was that wise advice wise advice now there are a lot of wise there's a lot of wise advice in the uh, in our Bible but there was one man that was considered the wisest uh, the wisest that's ever lived and that his name is Solomon and he's written a lot in the, in the Bible and it's, again encourage everyone to read his thoughts but in particular there's this book called Proverbs where he wrote a lot of good ideas down a lot of aspects that are very important to us and in Proverbs alone, there's, the heart is referenced 52 times. So you can see that it's a pretty significant theme for that book. Now I'm gonna read a passage of it, and, uh, and then we'll go on to talk about it. So this, and I apologize for the, side of the, the size of the font. This is Proverbs 4, and I'm gonna start in verse 10. Although it's a very powerful pa 
passage in its entirety. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. So this is Solomon, and he starts with my child. So we can take it that he's, he's either writing to one of his sons, which we know he had, or, um, and, anyway, or someone else, or his, his group of children. So Proverbs 4, uh, starting in verse 10. My child, listen to me as I do, and do as I say, and you will have a good life, a long and good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in a straight path. When you walk, you won't be held back. When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. Guard them, for they are the keys of life. My children, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep in your hearts, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Verse 20, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determ determines the course of your life. When I read this passage, I can't help but see the passion of a father crying out to his child. And it's a father that has life experience, that has wisdom, and that wants the best for his child. He wants to pass on instructions that will lead to a successful life and avoid life's pitfalls. Now we can take Solomon's words as they've been, uh, as they've been, uh, directed by the Holy Spirit and by God himself, and recognize that that might be God calling to us. That is God calling to us, and calling to our hearts. These are God's instructions to us, although Solomon penned them to his child. Now, what does Solomon write in these passages? So what is um, the value of obedience to these instructions? When we look through this passage, we see Solomon mentioning a long life, a good life, that there are, his instructions are keys to life, that you won't be held back, that when you run, you won't stumble, and that these instructions bring life and healing to the whole body. Now, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? If, whether you're a young man, a young woman, or you're older, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that blessing? And then he tries to, and then Solomon tries to stress the importance of the message and pleads for his children to listen carefully to the teaching. Take hold of my instructions and don't let them go. There's a permanence to these instructions. They aren't meant for a Friday. Guard them, treasure them. Don't let them loose because they're valuable. Let them penetrate your heart. Make them a second nature. Make them so that you don't have to think about them. Make them so that they're an automatic reaction. And pay attention. The passages we read ended with, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else. So when we take that one verse apart, Solomon has three things that I kind of looked at. It's such a small verse, but it's packed with three items. Solomon talks about the importance of the advice. It's very important. He talks about 
the action that he would like his child to take. And he talks about the reason that that child should take that action. So it's, it's, it's pretty all-inclusive, although such a small verse. So let's look at the first thing. What's the importance of the advice? He says, above all else. So if someone says above all else, I suggest to you that there's no greater importance. If you're going to focus on one thing, if one thing's going to remain above all else, remember this. You know, I remember when I was learning to drive a car, back in the day when there were more manual transmissions where you actually had to go one, two, three, four, do the clutch and everything. I remember being taught by my brothers and my, my father, and I remember this one thing, that when you park a car that has a manual transmission, above all else, remember to put it in park, because that transmission doesn't hold it like an automatic transmission. Your car can move even though it's parked. So above all else, it's one of those things. The other one I thought of a, was um, when you're, uh, when you're uh, going down a mountain, now, not that many do it, I watch a lot of outdoor shows, but you have this rope that you're required to let yourself down easy. And I remember the instructions, and the, the instructions were above all else, never let go of that rope, above all else. So there are items that, despite everything else you might think of, above all else, above all else. The, um, so when someone says, this is the most important thing above all else out of this whole list we need to pay attention now the next item is what are the actions that solomon's asking his children to do well it's three words guard your heart and you think well wow three words that's that's pretty you know what does it entail okay guard your heart that's great thanks i'll do that well commentaries so instead of taking it lightly let's di dig into it a bit Commentaries of this passage indicate that the word guard is an active term, and it's more of a military nature, to guard. So in my mind, and bear with me, I, I visualize a lot of things. In my mind, I picture a heart with a guard standing at the door. And, okay, guard my heart. That, that, that's a symbolism. Now, one way to think about it is that guard really doesn't really have much of a function. It's more of a formality. It's like kind of a scarecrow in a cornfield, you know, it'll scare a couple of crows away, but that's it. And, and I, I don't think that's what Solomon means. But as I thought of it, and again, bear with me with the analogy, I thought of it, and really, it brings to mind more of a border guard for me. When I thought, think about guard my heart, I think of a border guard. He is watching, but much more so. Think about the times, and trust, you know, many of us have gone through a border he has activity all around him, and he is tasked to stopping the unknown, inquiring of their purpose, their credentials, and their intent. Like any good guard, you want to assess danger, you want to assess the risks, you want to determine is this a friend or a foe, and you want to review your instructions as to whether they qualify entry. And so there's two components to a good guard. It's that they are on duty, and they're inquisitive, and they're working. And the second, a guard is only as good as the instructions they're following. A guard is only as good as, it, as the instructions they're following. So they have the ability to allow either a safe passage into my heart, or they have the ability to deny entrance into my heart. So 
So what do we need to guard our heart against? So I, you probably know better than me what you need to guard your heart against, but for examples, it could be our thoughts. It could be friends, people around us. It could be our emotions that get the better of us. It could be bitterness. It could be unforgiveness. It could be evil events that we chose to attend or participate in. It could be addictive substances. It could be internet content. It could be social media. It could be passions. It could be desires. And the list goes on. The list goes on. Depending on our hearts and our best intentions, however, some hearts are impossible to guard. Think about it. Some hearts are impossible to guard. They have no chance, or the guard has no chance of success. It's very difficult to control entrance and exit into that kind of heart. Well, what kind of heart am I talking about? Well, let's do two examples of those kinds of hearts. Well, for example, there is a challenge to an unbelieving heart. What do I mean by an unbelieving heart? Well, I mean a heart that doesn't have the truth of God in it. And why do I say that? Well, the guard faces a shaky and changing instruction. The truth is not based on the word of God, and so how, is, how are the instructions of the guard generated? Well, they can be at a whim. They can be in circumstances. They can be in beliefs, or they can be in feelings that all change. Now, feelings are real, of course, but they aren't reliable. Feelings are real, but they aren't reliable. There's no way to make the instructions of access to a heart. It makes me think of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, when Paul warns us, about not being tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. See, a guard can't, concede in protecting, can't succeed in protecting a heart where the heart's orders change constantly or are not set in stone or objective to the moment or to the circumstances. In fact, some instances you may find that contradictory instructions that rule a heart, and that's even worse. So can you guard a heart with changing instructions? No, you can't. It reminds me of Proverbs 25. It's again, Solomon's writing in Proverbs 25, verse 28. He says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. So if you can imagine a city with broken down walls, there's no restriction to access or entrance. And so it's, it's, uh, it's completely vulnerable. Now, a divided heart is the second heart I want to talk about. A divided heart, what's God's expectations with our heart? What's his, his desire with respect to our hearts as it relates to him? Well, his expectations are in Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. God wants all of you. He wants all your heart. He made us this way, and he knows that a divided heart is almost like no heart to God. Some people say something is better than nothing. Something is better than nothing, but that's not God's way. Put another way, God might say, a little of your heart is none of your heart. A little of your heart is none of your heart. Jesus talks about a divided heart in Matthew 6 and 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love another. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve two. 
And James adds to it in James 1 and 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. They're unstable in everything they do. Similar to the first example, a divided heart has part of their affections anchored, active, and engaged in worldly things. Active and engaged in worldly things. James goes on further to state that if you try to be a friend of the world, those with anchored in affections, you make yourself an enemy of God. In James 4, 4, now that's, that's, that's significant. A divided heart. So in James 4, 4, it says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And James says that twice. The challenge we have this morning is that a little doesn't go a long way in God's kingdom. To be clear, a divided heart is positioned for failure to be guarded. Because the guard's instructions are, are volatile. They're pulled between a godly kingdom and an earthly desire and earthly affections. And the heavenly directions are tainted. God wants your entire heart. And to have an effective guard over your heart, it can only take instructions from one source. One source. And that's God's source. Now, the third item that we talked about, uh, above all else, we talked about guard your heart. The reason to guard our heart, what's the reason? Well, it's precious and it's of significant value. It's so valuable that from, from, of it, from it flows the wellsprings of life. It flows the issues of life. flows everything you do flows from your heart. Everything you do flows from your heart. It's all-encompassing and it's all-inclusive. Now, there was a, a, a Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s who was a, a preacher and a teacher. He gave an analogy to this particular issue about our heart and our, everything flowing out of our heart. His analogy was that of a water reservoir that provided clean water to the towns below. And I was surprised, actually, because in the 1850s when he was, I, I was thinking, this didn't exist, but it does. And so what happened was this reservoir, you can picture it, it's got valves and it's got pipes, and the pipes lead to the homes below. And when the res reservoir is clean, the homes below receive water that's clean and safe to drink. What Mr. Spurgeon then said was, what if, what if I took a pail of poison and poisoned the reservoir? What would happen? Well, the poison spreads. It spreads within the reservoir, but then it spreads through the valves and it spreads through the pipes and it pollutes each home and each member below. His point? Well, his point is that these principles of the reservoir and the poison and the flow out beyond the reservoir is the same with our hearts and applies to the sin in our hearts. Sin contaminates our hearts and it reveals itself in different degrees and in all aspects of our life. In Luke 6, starting in verse 43, it says, a good tree can produce bad fruit, can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are never picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from a treasury of an evil heart. What you say 
flows from what's in your heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. The heart is a treasury. It's a treasury. And we can choose to load it with good, or we can choose, choose to let bad in. But be assured, a little bad has an incredible way of being amplified and overcoming the good. See, the problem here, you can't isolate sin within your heart. You can't picture a component of your heart that where you just park sin, and it has no other impact on the other things you do. It doesn't work that way. You cannot isolate sin in your heart. Out of our hearts flow the issues of life. Now, when we leave that verse and park that kind of message that Solomon wrote to his children, I think it's good to look at some of the fundamentals of the heart. And what do I say that by that? Well, it's helpful to understand how our hearts got to where they are and to understand not only Solomon's instructions for guarding them, but on God's plan and desire for them. See, God has a design. God's desi designed and created all aspects of our heart. In fact, he refers to finding a man after his own heart. That was his, the man David. So God uses the term, a man after my own heart. The heart of a man before sin was in communion and in fellowship with God. There was no fear of God, and there was a friendship and a relationship that could only exist without sin. That's God's plan for our heart. We go back to the Garden of Eden, and I have some verses up here where in, in Genesis chapter 127, so God created human beings in his own image, and the image of God he created, the male and female he created them. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. God had a plan for our hearts. He had a plan for us. But, unfortunately, sin destroys. We only have to turn two pages or to the third chapter of our Bible to find out that sin destroys. There we read that the, that the devil deceived Eve, that Eve and Adam ate an apple that they were, or a fruit, sorry, that they were prohibited to eat by God. And in effect, Sin was born. Sin was allowed. Our hearts are changed from what God designed because of the presence of sin. This change was significant, as, as you probably can appreciate. Why? Well, physically, it removed Adam and Eve from the garden. It defined their lifespan, and it introduced death. It introduced death, physical death. But even more significantly, it broke our relationship with God. It broke our relationship with God. What God intended no longer existed because we broke our relationship. Sin sat in that gap. The change in our hearts was drastic. It went from pure and sinless in, God's, in the Garden of Eden to Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? And it didn't stop with Adam and Eve, of course. It, sin exists today, and that break in relationship exists today. In Romans 5, verse 12, it says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, 
And in this way, death came to all, all people because all sinned. In Romans 3.23, it tells us, for all have sinned, there's no exceptions, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And it also says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn because we're sinners. And what's incredible is the battle for Adam and Eve, that Adam and Eve faced is what we face, we continue to face today. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, it talks about the challenge. It says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's kind of a hopeless end. If I were to end the sermon there, you'd say, wow, that, that, that's, that's a downer. It is. But God cares about our heart. He does care about our heart. But you might be sitting there saying, well, is there anything I can do? I don't like the situation that you just explained to me. I don't like the situation where my relationship with God is broken. I don't like the situation where my heart is black with sin. I, I don't like it. Well, there's works don't do it works don't do it the Bible tells us that God looks at our attempts to be good I'm gonna change I'm gonna do better God looks at those attempts and he looks at them and says look you know what all the things that you try to do well they're like filthy rags and you might say well I'm not that bad there's always somebody worse outwardly we can make the arguments about how good we are. I can dress up. It doesn't change my heart. But God doesn't look outwardly. And the Bible tells us he looks at your heart. In Jer Jeremiah 17.10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart, and I test the minds to give every man according to his ways, according to their fruits and his deeds. In Samuel 16.7, it says, the Lord looks on the heart. And in Proverbs 21, 2, it says, the Lord weighs the hearts. So how do we get out from the burden of sin? How do we get back into a relationship with God? God has a rescue for your heart. That's the good news. The good news, it's not up to me. It's not up to you. God has an exit. He has a plan. He's overcome these things. We might look at God's heart in itself and say, well, what is God's heart like in this particular instance? Is he angry with me? Is he going to punish me? Is he, what's his demeanor? Well, his demeanor and his heart says, and Peter says this, he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God wants us to put our pride aside. He wants us to recognize that we can't fix this, and we need him to fix it. We need him to fix it. In Psalms 51, it says, you do not desire a sacrifice, and it's, the writer is talking to God. You don't desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. God sent his son, Jesus, 
to a sinful world, sin-filled world. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died a death that bore the punishment for your sin and my sin on Calvary's cross. Jesus took the consequences of my sin, and he gave me his righteousness. We read this morning, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in Romans 10:9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because Jesus took my punishment, my sin has been dealt with. And in believing and repenting, I can be reconciled with God. Jesus restores our relationship. And in Hebrews, we read, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into a most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, who's Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts trusting in him. Right in the presence of God. Jesus has reconciled our relationship with him by taking the punishment of our sins. I don't know how clear I've been today, but if you still have questions about how your relationship with Jesus can be reconciled, how your sins can be forgiven, I'd be happy to stay afterwards and talk about it. I'd be happy to stay. So we talked about wise advice. We talked about the history of the heart. And, you know, sometimes I have this image of this guard standing at my heart, and it seems like a lonely place. It seems like he's alone. It seems like, you know, it's a single, it's a single person. It's me or it's you. Well, God does send reinforcements. He doesn't want us to stand alone. If we're standing alone, it's because it's our own choice. He doesn't want it that way. Even though we continue to, ch- to, to deal with and continue to fight the sin battle that started with Adam and Eve, God has a plan for us and a plan for reinforcement as we go forward. See, a Christian life is best lived on dependence on God. If we think we can do it, if we think we're the lone guard, if we think we can do it alone, we're wrong. So today, in, in, the, in kind of the last few minutes I have, I want to talk about three things that God has provided for us where we don't have to stand alone to guard our hearts. I want to talk about God giving himself as a guard for our heart. I want to talk about his word being a guard for our heart. And then finally, his peace, his peace being a guard for our heart. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and we're reconciled to God, God gives us his spirit, frequently termed the Holy Spirit when we look through the Bible, to live inside us. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. So in 1 Corinthians, it says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. 
you do not belong to yourself. Second Timothy 1.14, it says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And in Psalms, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Jesus doesn't want us to do it alone. He wants to come in alongside us. He wants the power of his spirit and his strength to guard, support, encourage, and direct us. See, his power is made perfect in our weakness. When we want to draw close to God, he's not going to refuse us. He's going to draw close. My strength, your strength, it's not sufficient in this. The reality is if you try to do it alone, you most likely fail. The next item, God's word. God gave us his word to reinforce as these instructions. I talked about that border guard. That border guard is only as good as the manual he uses to judge whether he allows entry or whether he denies entry. So then the question is, what instructions do you let your heart follow? In Hebrews 14, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word exposes our, most innermo our innermost thoughts and desires. That's good. That's good. The word of God is helpful in bringing to light thoughts and desires that aren't honoring to him, that are not according to his will, and not according to what he requested. But at the same time, they'll enlighten the things that we shouldn't do. Because if it's not in the instructions, we have to take caution. In Psalms 119, verse 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And in 119.9, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. See, God wants us to rely on his instructions, his holy word, his Bible, and what he says. And to use the sword of his word to study and absorb into our hearts the things he says. He wants us to fill our hearts, our thoughts and our meditations on him and his word. In Psalms uh, chapter 1, it says, Oh, the joys of those who don't, do not follow the advice of the wicked, stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on it day and night. Finally, let's talk about peace. Sometimes you think, okay, well, if I'm bringing in reinforcements, what does peace have to do with it? What does peace have to do with it? Well, you know, today, when we look around us, there's a lot of feelings of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of stress. And there's a lot of worry. It doesn't take much to look around us and we see wars. We see natural disasters. We see economic uncertainty. We see health concerns. All these different types of things that can otherwise concern us. And it can be frightening and overwhelming. And it can impact our heart. Frightening and overwhelming, but it can impact our heart. It can weigh our hearts down, 
It can rob us of contentment. It can rob us of joy. And of course, it can rob us of peace. When we take our eyes off Jesus and allow our minds and hearts to focus on these troubles, there's no doubt it will affect our hearts. God wants us to stop focusing on these worries and turn to focus on him. He wants us to look at his goodness. He wants to look at his love and his grace. He wants us to submerge ourselves in his word and develop thankful hearts. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you in perfect peace. In John 14, Jesus himself says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace is given, and the peace I give is a, is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and afraid. And Philippians 4 is a special verse to me. As I've gone through different issues in my life, it's been an anchor verse to allow me to center myself and my thoughts in the right direction and center them on him. Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then what? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Going back to our verse, guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So in conclusion, we talked about Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself. He was going to live a life and do things in obedience to God. Daniel, I might say, had guarded his heart to protect the godly truths that were in it, and he acted on them. Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, instructs us that above all else, above all else, we should guard our hearts because out of it, everything of life comes, comes out of it. The issues of life spring out. See, God wants our heart. He doesn't want a part of it. He wants all of it. He's already dealt with the consequences of sin, and he has an opportunity, and we have an opportunity to be reconciled with God through repentance and through the acceptance and the belief in Jesus Christ. And I leave you with one last verse. And it's Colossians 3, verse 15 and 16. And it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. With that, maybe we could just commend ourselves. Our blessed, loving God and Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to think about our hearts. Father, you crafted these hearts. You, didn't have, you had a plan and a relationship that you wanted for us, and sin spoiled it. But Father, you've provided a way through Jesus Christ by which we can enjoy that relationship. Father, but it takes our, but the realities of 
of the challenges we have to live our Christian life are still real. Father, we just look to you for your help and your guidance. Father, help us guard our hearts above all else. Help us to understand that when we taint our hearts, that it impacts other aspects of our life. Help us to put the desire in our hearts to honor and glorify you in all we do. Father, I just pray that this word would, would be a blessing to those that, that hear it. Father, and I just lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.